to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the afternoon service of Saturday the 24th of February 2018, entitled, Never Too Tall Not to Fall. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Even though it was cold, uh, it was one of the most successful uh, outreaches we've had in quite some time. I, I believe that. Uh, there was more... Uh, tracks I saw accepted than rejected, and that was awesome. Um, and we had more obstacles to overcome this time, too. Mr. Balloon Guy, um, and then the souvenir shop wanting to play, you know, Tears for Fears, really? I mean, they couldn't do any more better genre than that, you know, as loud as they could, but thankfully they turned it down. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? And I think it was a couple of you young people went and asked them to turn that down. That was awesome. I think they turned it completely off, so praise the Lord for that. Un- unbelievable. God's good. Amen? All the time. All the time? That's right. First Samuel chapter number 17. Um, while you're there, let me say this. Um, this when I left Wales uh, just a, a few months ago, I did a camp in Augusta, Georgia, or in the area of Augusta, Georgia, actually Jackson, South Carolina, and uh, two weeks after I left you guys. And while I was at that camp, there was a guy who brought his kids. And I would consider this guy not only in stature but in spirit a giant. I mean, this this guy is a big guy, but he's a big, big, well-known preacher also in that area. Um, I I don't guess, Dave, I'd been home a month after we did that camp, had a major move of God, had kids saved. It was a wonderful camp. But got home, and one of the pastors, Jamie, from the area, called me weeping on a Sunday night. I'll never forget it. We don't have Sunday night service. We have service after our Sunday morning service. So I'm free on Sunday evening. Well, I got a call about 5.30, and I went, that's odd, because I saw his number, and I knew he had to preach in 30 minutes. Come to find out, he had gotten a call that, uh, unbeknownst to him, this gentleman who was a considered giant in our circles uh, was found out of having immoral relationships with young girls in his church. Not only for a few months, but maybe over the last five to six years. Now, here's the thing that I don't don't get. This guy, if you would have seen him and heard him preach, you would have went, wow, this guy is awesome. But my contention is this. Just like this story that we read in 1 Samuel 17, I believe, Rob, that you're never too tall that you cannot fall. We need to be very careful because if you look at this story... Seemingly on the surface, Jay, it looks like David don't have a prayer. It looks like Goliath ought to win the battle. But if you ever ask your question on the flip side, we always talk about David, but we leave Goliath out of it. Why did Goliath lose? Because he should have won. I want you to look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting at verse number 1. While you're looking at it, Paul told the church in Corinth, which, by the way, had all kind of issues. They were a jacked-up church. You know what I'm talking about? They were jacked up. I mean, this church was bad off. Carnal. And he told the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse number 12, he said, Let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. To go a little farther, the, the, the one that we talk about who threw the stone from his sling and defeated the giant, 
years later wrote these words in Psalm 37. He said, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way. And then verse number 24 says, though, it didn't say if. It says when he falls. He shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholdeth him with his, hand, with his hand. Young people, you're never too tall that you can't fall. We need to be very careful in these days. You ask yourself, well, preacher, why did Goliath fail? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked me. I want to try to answer that tonight. I want you to look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. Look at verse number 1. It says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belonged to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Ezekiah and Ephesdemim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah. Dave's been there and actually got stones out of the brook in the valley of Elah. Consider me bitter. Amen. <laughs> and and, the, and listen, and, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and the Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and it was a valley in between them. There's always going to be a valley in between what you and where you're wanting to go is. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Somebody says, that's in between somewhere nine and ten and a half feet tall. Somewhere in between there. Even if it was eight feet. That's a big dude, right? He probably had one tooth in his head. He probably had scraggly hair. He was all mangled up because he was a champion. This is what he did. He fought for a living. This is what he did as a, as a livelihood. His vocation was killing people. Why don't you look at what it says about him? And he had a helmet of brass upon his head. Couldn't weigh, I don't know, what, 10, 15, 20 pounds maybe? He had a, was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, somewhere between 110 125 pounds of armor. Have any of y'all ever wore a coat that weighed 125 pounds? Think about that. <laughs> Amen. And now I'm bitter about that. Anyway, and uh, <laughs> Amen. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear weighed eight, listen, weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. Do you know if you looked at it on the surface, you would say, you know what, there's not even, there's not, a, there's not a, an inkling, an inkling of who should have won this battle. Goliath stood head and shoulders above everybody else. David was 13 and a half years of age. By the way, the scripture says he was ruddy in countenance. That means he had a fair countenance. He hadn't even shaven yet. I mean, this was a young lad going against a great giant, a champion. But can I say something, ladies and gentlemen? I don't care how big you get, how much notoriety you have, how great spiritually you are, you've got to guard yourself because let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Every one of us in here have the susceptibility to falling. We've got to guard ourselves. It would be, literally, it would be like and I, I don't know most of y'all's colleges around here locally, but if you're in high school, that would be our high school, y'all's college, say 10th, 11th, 12th grade. It would be like Arsenal or Liverpool going against your local college team in the high school, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th graders. Amen. And you say there's no way. It'd be like our high school football team playing against the Green Bay Packers or the or Dallas Cowboys. It, or the Alabama, the Alabama Crimson Day. Anyway, let's move on. 
there's feasibly, there's no chance that that person or that team has a chance against such a giant stalwart in that arena. Amen? However, David won and Goliath lost. Why? Have you ever asked yourself, why did Goliath lose this battle? Well, I've asked myself that. And I've come up with four things that God has shown me in this passage in, in 1 Samuel 17. I want you to look at the first one. I want you to go and fall down uh, to verse number, let's go to verse number 26. Verse number 26, it said, He stood by, he stood by the men that were by him and saying, What shall be done to the Philistine, the, the, the man that killeth this Philistine, and take away the pro reproach or the finger pointing from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I want you to write this down first of all. The reason Goliath lost this battle is, number one, he was uncircumcised. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, if you know anything about circumcision, it was a purification. Here is a man, I don't care how big he was, but he was fighting in the flesh. He wasn't fighting in the spirit. David said, you come to me with a spear and a shield and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. El Elyon, El Shaddai, Yahweh. I'm coming to you in the name that is, and I don't mean to take something New Testament, make it Old Testament, but if David knew the New Testament, he'd say, I'm coming to you in the name that's above every name. Amen? He's the Alpha, the Omega. He's the bright morning star. He's the Christ. He's the, uh, listen, he's the day star. He's the everlasting father. He's the fairest of 10,000 of my soul. Amen? He's the good shepherd, the holy one of Israel, the intercessor, the judge, the kinsman redeemer. I could go on forever. I really could because he's that much to me. And David said, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. And you ain't going to stand up and curse my God. You're not going to stand up and talk about my God like that. Who do you think you are? And do you know what? Goliath thought he would go out like he did every other time. Even more so because this is a boy. Can you see Goliath? What you coming out here, boy? What you coming out here like this for, boy? Boy, boy, boy. And you know what? Here's the problem. Goliath was fighting a battle in the flesh, not in the spirit. Here's what I'm trying to say, young people. If you try to fight your battles in the flesh, you will always lose. You're not strong enough to defeat the enemy with just your strength. That's why the writer said it. We talked about it Wednesday night. I said it tonight, today. You're not the power. You're the pot. God puts his power in you. That's why the excellency of the power may be, Jay, of him and not of us. Because if I fight it in my strength, I ain't going to get very far. But if you fight it in God's strength, you can be more than a conqueror through him that loved you. Number one, Goliath lost the battle, Dan, because he was uncircumcised. He was in the flesh. Number two, I want you to look at the verses just, just following this. Look at verse number Let's look down at verse number uh, 41. Philistine came and drew near unto David, and the man that bare his shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked, at, looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come unto me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Write this down very quickly. Number one, the reason why Goliath lost the battle was, number one, he was uncircumcised. Number two, 
The reason Goliath lost, the reason David won and prevailed over this giant is because Goliath underestimated his enemy. Now, I want to say this. Some of you think I'm going to the, you know, the ugly one that we always talk about, Lucifer and the devil and Satan, you know, the one with the horns, and we always paint this picture. And really, I believe he comes as an angel of light. I don't think he's going to be ugly. I don't think that's why Eve had a conversation with a serpent. I don't think the serpent was very ugly. I think he was very appealing. And you know what? It can come in the form of a slick-talking man, girls. I'm, I'm not so sure, Brother Dave, but I don't know that, it, that, that, that the devil might not put some woman in every meeting that we preach to try to get to the man of God. I believe the enemy might put a lady or a woman at your place of work to try to get you to, to, to turn away from your walk with God and to kind of steer away. And it's kind of like Dave said, you know, just, just get a little bit close and, and, and warm your hands by the fire of the enemy. Just get a little bit close. Huh? That's what Peter did. Peter warmed his hands by the fire of the enemy. And you know what? Somebody said, hey, don't you know him? I think you're one of his disciples. He said, I don't know him. Somebody else came. I know your, that, your name's Cephas. I don't know him. That's not me. And the third time, he even cursed and said, blankety blank, I don't know him. And guess what? The rooster crowed. And he said, you will deny me. You know, it's a crazy thing how we underestimate the enemy's power. I heard a story, and I've told you all this before, but it bears repeating. There was this turtle that was getting ready to go across this river, and a snake came out from underneath the rock, and it looked at the turtle, and it said, Hey, can you give me a ride across the river? No, 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 no. I can't give you no ride across the river. You'll bite me. Oh, he said, Listen, I won't bite you. He said, Feel me. I'm a snake. I feel slick. I'm not going to bite you. I'm not going to harm you. So you know the turtle, you know, little old feet. He's rubbing the snake, you know. And, and then the snake said, just give me a ride over. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you a ride over, but you better not bite me. He got on his shell, little turtle, you know, swimming across the river. And all of a sudden, that snake, <laughs> right in the neck. And the turtle's going down. The turtle looks at the snake and says, you told me you wouldn't bite me. You told me you would not bite me. And the snake looked at him and said, you knew what I was before you ever let me get on your back. It's just what I do. You know what scares me about teenagers? First one to laugh at you when, 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 when he gets you into a situation that you can't get out of, the first one that will go, <laughs> is the enemy. See, Goliath lost because he underestimated his enemy. He looked at his stature. He looked at his size. You know what we need? We need some soldiers. And I said this the other night. It's not how good you fight. It's what you're fighting for. You're not measured based upon your success in the battle zone. You're me measured based upon the faithfulness that you have to stand up to your giants. Amen? Come on, help me out. I know you're tired. I am too. Thank God I'm preaching. I can't go to sleep. Amen? I can't. I got to speak. What I'm saying, young people, is this. It's time for us to understand we don't need to underestimate our enemy. Because all he'll do is dangle that proverbial carrot out in front of you. Gotcha. Come on. Come on. Come on. It scares me the casualties that we see in youth ministry these days because the, they've underestimated the power. And you know, young people, today you are bombarded with things that Dave and I never had to be bombarded with. I buried an uncle two years ago because of an overdose of colonopins and Oxycontin. 
Who would have ever thought we'd have it at our disposal just pills you could pop that will kill you? Oh, but that temporal pleasure just to make it numb and everything go away for about four hours and you lose your life over it and the enemy goes, I got you. Oh, yeah, you'll be in heaven, but prematurely. And lose the opportunity to grant, gain crowns that you could ultimately cast back at Jesus' feet? Why would you do that? Young people, you not need to fight the battle in the spirit. Goliath lost, Dan, because he was uncircumcised. He lost it because he underestimated his enemy. Number three, I want you to write this down. Look down at verse number 49. Look at verse number 49. And David put his hand in his bag, took fence of stone, slang it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. How, how did that happen? Really? You're talking about a 10-foot guy taking on a four-foot-five guy. No offense, Jay. You are a giant. Amen? You are a giant. How did that happen, Jamie? How, how did this guy, who had all this armor on, who had a sword, a shield, he had a bearer that went before him, and he loses to a boy that's keeping sheep? How did this happen? What an indictment to a Philistine champion. I can tell you how it happened, Alex. Because not only was he uncircumcised, not only did he underestimate his enemy, but number three, he had an unguarded mind. He had an unguarded mind. Do you know the only place that was unguarded on his person was right here, Rob? And that's the very place that David as a slinger, not as a shepherd boy, but as a slinger. And you know how much effort it takes to be an expert at a sling. And we talk about a slingshot, like pulling something back. We're talking about putting a stone into two pieces of, uh, uh, of, of rope and a, a piece of leather and hurling it toward, and he hit him right here in the only unprotected place in his body. You know what scares me these days? We've got so many young people and adults alike that sit in church and the reason why they cannot have, have victory over their enemies is because they've got an unguarded mind. Do you understand, young people, that this is the battle zone? The devil knows exactly where to pray, play tricks on you, and it's right here. And you're going to have to guard your mind. The, listen, I heard a preacher say this one time. He said, you sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. Twelve hundred decisions you will make in a day. Over 20,000 thoughts will go through your mind in a 24-hour period of time. How, where am I going to brush my teeth? When am I going to go to work? What time am I going to set my clock to go and, and make dinner? You make all of these decisions in your life. And you know what? If you're not careful, it's just like Brother Dave said the other night, 1,440 hours or minutes a day, that at, at, at equates to 86,400 seconds a day. And ladies and gentlemen... If the, it's, listen, if a banker told you he would give you 86,400 pounds, but you had to spend every penny of it, every pence of it for that day, because nothing would be forwarded to the next day, guess what? If you didn't spend all of it, you've wasted it. You haven't invested it. And young people, here's the problem. When you don't guard your mind, it's a wasted second. It's a wasted minute. It's a wasted day. 
you need to guard your mind. And the biggest thing some of you in here need to guard your mind against is who you are and what you have. You still got stones left in the pouch. God's not done with you. Guard your mind. Amen? Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man or a woman thinks in their heart, so are they. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, Those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, the mind, the brain, your thought processes. And ladies and gentlemen, I am so convinced that the reason why we have weak, anemic churches sometimes is because we do not guard the most precious item. Solomon told his sons, he told them, he said, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That word diligent means above everything else you could guard, this is the most important thing you could guard in your life, is your mind. 822 times the word heart's used in the Bible. 500 times it means your heart or your, or your mind or your thought processes. So let me encourage you young people to realize that you need to guard your mind. The reason why Goliath lost the battle is because he had an unguarded mind. I want to say this as a side note, and you can take this up with God after I get done preaching. Some of you in this room are still harboring things that have been done to you by a parent, by another church member, by an employer, by a customer, by somebody in the community. And do you know what you need to do? You need to realize that if you don't take care of the root problem, you're going to have fruit problems. The root problem in most people's lives that I deal with, Jay, is a thing called unforgiveness and bitterness. And you've got to guard your mind against that. I had a kid come to me when I was at Tabernacle in Salisbury. His mother went to our church. She came to me and said, would you pray for my son? I said, I'd do better than that. Where does he live? I want to go visit him. She gave me his address. I went to his house. I knocked on the door. I introduced myself. I said, I know your mom and dad. When I said dad, he said, I'm going to tell you right now. He closed the door behind him. He walked me off that porch. First time in my life I think I've ever been backed off a porch. He scared me to death. He said, if you ever say the word daddy around me again, I'm going to hit you right in your nose. I'm going to knock you out. Now, I didn't even know this guy. I said, what in the world's wrong with him? Come to find out, Rob, the guy that come to church with his mom wasn't his biological daddy. It was his stepdad. Great guy. Come to find out his biological daddy used to abuse him. Matter of fact, was a truck driver. I won't go into a sordid story, but y'all need to hear this. His biological father was a truck driver and would take him when he was 11 years old on trips on the road with him, and he wouldn't tell his mom what happened. The boy was so scared of his daddy, he'd think he'd kill him. But you know what his daddy would do? He would make li liaisons with other truck drivers and give his son over to them. This boy looked at me and he said, if you ever say the word daddy, I'll, I'll knock you out. I hate my daddy. I hate him! I said, I just came to invite you for spaghetti. I said, I mean, I, I was scared to death. I said, I just came to invite you for dinner. He said, man, I'm sorry. He said, and, and, and after, after the fact, we sat down, Alex, and we had dinner. He told me what I just told you. As my kids slept in that parsonage, my heart was broken for this boy who has been, who has been scarred to the point to where he wanted to kill his own daddy. 
I don't know what you do, but I started praying. I said, God, give me something to give this boy. I looked at him and I said, you know what? I said, his name was Chris. I said, Chris, you know, I, I don't know you that well. But can I say, it's 8.30. My kids are in the bed. They were little at that time. I said, my kids are in the bed just across the way, about, a five, about 50 yards from here. They're in the parsonage and they're asleep. And I said, I, I've got a son over there. And right now, he's about five years old and I love him to death. I would well nigh die for him. But I can tell you this, Chris, I love you. I really love you. But I don't know if I could give my son's life in your place. I thought he was mad at the other house. Now I've really made him mad. He looked at me and he said, what are you trying to say? I said, I don't know if I love you that much, but again, I'll tell you it's about somebody that does. He said, who? I said, God loved you so much that he gave his only son to die in your place. That you could come to him Accept him and have eternal life. It took 40 minutes, Brother Dave, and I saw him break, and tears came running down his face. And do you know what? Finally in his life, I finally saw some freedom. I finally saw the veil lifted. And you know what? It looked like there was finally a smile on his face after two days of knowing this guy. I hadn't seen nothing but anger and outrage. I called him two weeks later, and I said, Hey, Chris, can I take you to lunch? Nope, can't go. I said, Well, that's, that was really a little bit more, you know, positive than I wanted you to hear about not going to lunch with me. I wanted to hear you go, man, I wish I could go, but I can't. He's like, no, I can't go. I'm like, well, that's kind of what everybody else says too. And uh, I said, why can't you go? He said, well, I, I got to go somewhere today. And he told me about a place where a man worked. It was a lumber yard down on the other side in East Spencer, just across the way from where I pastor. And he said, I've got to go down there, and I've got to go in that place of business, and I've got to get the owner or the manager of that place to call over the intercom and have a man come to the front, and I've got to look into the eyes of a man I don't even know no more and wanted to kill and look at him and say, Daddy, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. You know what, Jay? I've pastored people. I've gone back and Dave's gone back year after year after year for well nigh 22, 30, 30 years back to the same church and no people for 30 years has been bitter over somebody and most of them's dead now. And can't even have victory and liberty in their life because they're bitter over somebody that's not even here no more. Can I ask you to do me a favor, guys? If you don't be a casualty like Goliath, you need to guard your mind. First of all, against bitterness. Amen? Against bitterness. The last thing I want to give you, and I'm done, and I, I just want to give you meat and potatoes. I don't want to give you no crepe Suzette or quiche. I'm just trying to give you meat and taters today. Amen? This is what I'm trying to give you. Y'all look like a meat and potato crowd. Amen? I just want to give you some meat and potatoes. Goliath lost a battle, Rob, because he was uncircumcised. He underestimated his enemy. He had an unguarded mind, but I want you to look at verse 51 and I'm done. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. I don't have to read, time to read the rest of the chapter. But you know what David did? I like this guy. David took the head. I'm not talking about went to a taxidermist. 
I'm talking about blood coming off of it, not on a silver platter, took it into the city and said, here's your champion, here's their champion, amen, right here. I like David. He would have been a Marine. He said, here he is. Now you say, preacher, what's your point? Can I ask you all to think with me for a moment? David went into the battle without a sword. But he came out of the battle with one. He didn't go into a battle with one. He came out of the battle with one. Can I ask you to think with me for just a moment? Maybe the reason why Goliath lost the battle ultimately and was totally destroyed, Claire, is because he had an unused weapon. David took Goliath's own sword out of his own sheath after he had killed him with a stone, took his own sword and cut his own head off with it. You say, what's your point? Goliath lost the battle because he never took his sword out in the battle. Now, maybe the reason why you're struggling so bad is not because you don't have the arsenal. You don't have the awareness of the advantage you've got. You do have ability. You have put forth the effort. But maybe the reason why you struggle so is because maybe, just maybe, you hadn't unsheathed your sword in the battle. What is your sword? I'm going to be honest with you guys. I would consider myself a, a transitional preacher because I've got men that are in my life, like a J.C. Parks and all these men of old that we've preached for. But you know what? We're coming up and we're seeing things change a little bit, and I'm not talking about our message. I'm talking about methods. David, listen, Paul said, I'm to be all things to all men that I might all, by all means save some. And I'm telling you right now, we're in a transition period where God's moving and doing some great things and He's using other, other arenas. But can I say this? I love the fact that we print the words up on a screen and we do all of these multimedia and social media stuff, but there's something about having a copy of the Word of God for yourself to read every morning, read every night. There's something about opening it up for yourself. Because I'm telling you right now, when I got saved by the grace of God, I got saved in the Marine Corps. And do you know what? For four months while I was in the Marine Corps, I never went to sleep, but what my Bible wasn't under my pillow. I cherished it that much, Rob. And what's scary is so many Christians struggle in their life. And when I ask them this, this, this question, this is the answer I get. When I ask them, do you use this? Do you use it? A lot of people have asked me, why do you write in your Bible? Why do you write in it? Because there ain't no law against it. Hello. Plus, I don't have, I don't have to worry about notes and losing, because I ain't going to lose this. You understand me? I will never lose this book. Maybe the reason why you struggle so and maybe you're getting defeated in your life is because you have an unused weapon. This is your sword. You got temptation in your life? Well, use what Jesus said. He said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. You got a problem with what you look at? Look at what David said. I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. Amen? That's pretty good counsel. All of that's in the book. And let me ask you a question. If the Word of God was good enough for Jesus, 
to thwart the temptation of the enemy in the wilderness every time the devil said, hey, turn this bread into, turn this stone into bread. He said, Jay, as it is written. If it was good enough for the God of the universe, I guess it's good enough for me. I'm going to be done with this, guys. I got a lady in a church I preach at in Charlotte. A Glory Land Baptist Church. She came to me back, I guess, 15 years ago, and she looked at me and she said, Preacher, will you pray for my husband? Now, I'm going to tell you something. I, I had preached in that church four years, four years up to this point, and had never knew she was married. She did not wear a ring. I found out later she couldn't because of her work uh, purposes. She couldn't wear rings, and so it got to the point to where she couldn't get it back on. She decided she would not wear it. Didn't mean she wasn't married. She just didn't have a ring on. I thought she was a widow. I did not know anybody in that church. When I would start a verse, she would finish every one of them. I'd be preaching, I'd start one, she'd finish it. She was the biggest cheerleader I had. You know, sometimes there's people that I look at, because some of y'all look like you got the mully grubs. Some of you look like you're mad at your cat, your dog, your grandma, your grandpa. You look like you're mad at everybody. There's certain people I look at when I want encouragement. Amen? You know who you are. If you're the other ones, you know who you are. Because I don't look at you. I, I, I love all of you. But some of y'all got to get over some of this stuff in your life. It's like Dave said this morning. Life happens. Get over it. This lady loved the Word of God. I remember Pastor Larry, when we had testimony time at that church, the, the, the preacher would stand up, the pastor would, and he'd say, he said, you know what Psalm 107 says, let the redeemed Lord say so. Can somebody give me a witness? You know what, she wouldn't stand up and give a testimony about what God's doing in life. She'd just get up and quote about five verses of Scripture. Son, I just wanted to run. I just, it was just, whoa, I just, it just made me Baptocostal, amen? I guess I am anyway. But anyway. But this lady came to me one night, and I knew how much she loved the Lord. She came to me, and I don't know what you do, but this is what I did. She said, would you pray for me, preacher? She had never done this before. She looked in my eyes, and I said, what is your need, Miss Lou? She said, my husband. I went, you're married? Oh, yeah. She said, but my husband's lost. And she said, I had a dream the other night if I died, and he died, that I'd go to heaven. And he'd go to hell. And I can't bear the thought of it. Man, I got down and I started begging God. I said, Ann, let's pray right now. And I prayed. And you know what? We're just simple people. I didn't know what to pray. But I said, God, do whatever you got to do to get Steve here. Just get him under the gospel. Just one time, Lord. If that's all it takes, I'll preach my guts out. If he'll just come and listen. We got up, we dried our eyes, we hugged. That was on Monday night. Thursday night. Last night of the meeting. Here come Ann in the, in the door. Girls, she was levitating off the ground. She was, I mean, it was like she's, she just came floating in the high, smiling, looked like a mule eating briars in a hailstorm. I mean, it was teething up my teeth. And the reason why she was that way is because her husband followed her in. I knew who he was. This is what he did. And he sat down, as mad as a hornet. Come to find out, same thing happened to a guy here in that parking lot years ago. 
This guy said, I'm tired of sitting out there. Said, the air conditioner ain't working in the car, and I'm tired of listening to the race on the radio. I'm going to go in there, and at least I can listen to this guy. I hear him already. He was outside. He heard me inside. He came into church. Brother, he said about where you are. I preached, man, heaven sweet and hell hot. That's all I knew. I was begging the whole time while I was preaching, God, let this man come to Calvary. Let him repent and get right with God. I'll never forget it. wasn't nothing I did, but I'm going to tell you right now, when I gave the invitation, old Steve walked out. Said I was ready to discharge hell with a water pistol. Steve came down and he gave his heart to Jesus. Man, he prayed right there, Rob. I remember I said, Steve, I can't pray for you. you got to pray. I said, Steve, just ask the Lord to forgive you. And, and he didn't know what I knew, what, what Ann had volunteered to me. Man, he started, he started, Alex, spewing out all his stuff. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm a terrible husband. I'm a drunk. I curse my wife. I mean, I was like, I, I didn't, we didn't need to hear all that. I mean, you know, but I mean, he was just opening himself up. Man, we was praying, and he was broken, and all of a sudden, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I was praying like this, and I heard somebody weeping behind him. And I'm going to be honest with you, I repented later, Rob, but I snuck, and I looked. I was like this. I said, who is that? And it was his little 150-pound wife. Ann was behind him, and she was weeping. And the whole time, Dave, she was saying, God, save my husband. Save my husband. Man, he got done praying. I looked up at him and I looked and I said, Steve, stand up. I said, did Jesus save you tonight? He said he sure did. Man, when he said he sure did, Jay, his little wife, she went cray-cray. She started jumping up and down. She picked him up, Alex, and she... I mean, it's, this was a big man. This is a little woman. She, you, I'll tell you right now, you make a little woman mad, You watch, she'll become a guerrilla warrior. Amen. You, and if you don't believe it, hit one of her kids. She will knock you out. Amen. Son, Ann picked, picked him up by the, by the knees and started jumping up and down going, Hallelujah! Praise God! She put him down. I looked at Ann and I said, Ann, did God save your husband? She said, He sure did. And I went, Wow, glory! Son, she took a lap. She started running. She was just running. She ran all the way around the church. Steve's still here crying. He's going. He just watched her. Here she comes. I said, Ann, guess what? I said, Steve, saved. She went, well, glory. She took another lap. She's running. She got done running, Pastor Larry. We got things calmed down. I looked at Steve and I said, Steve, I got to ask you a question. I said, I ain't never heard anybody because this is what he said. When he came up to me that night and he looked at me at that altar, Sophie, these were his words. I got to get saved tonight. I said, what do you mean you got to get saved tonight? He said, I got to. I said, nobody's ever said that to me, Steve. Why'd you say that? He said, my life has been hell at my house the last two weeks. I said, what do you mean? You got a great wife. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. Listen to what happened. He said, every night I'd come in from work, she'd have a wonderful Wonderful spread of food made, Rob. We'd sit down at the table. She'd pray. I'd get over there. I'd start eating. And she'd look at me, not even put one fork of food in her mouth. And she'd look at me and say, Steve, you need to be saved. You need to come to Christ. And he said, it'd make me so mad. 
I'd slam the chair underneath the table. I'd go upstairs and slam the door and go to bed. He said, and last night I had all I could take. I said, what happened? He said, I woke up about 2.30, and he said, my bed was just jumping all around the floor like this. He thought it was an earthquake. No. They had the curtains pulled. There was a street light that was shining in the window. When he got up, he sat up in the bed. First thing he said was, oh, man, this is that rapture thing my wife's been telling me about. She ain't here. I can't find her. Where's she at? And he looked at the foot of the bed, Jamie, and his wife, little Ann, who loved the sword, who loved the book, and she heard one of her last statements to me before her husband came was, she said, they that go forth with weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing their seeds with them. And she cried over her husband's soul. He said, last night when I looked at the foot of the bed, she had the covers and she had the mattress and she was shaking the whole bed back and forth going, God, save my husband. Save my husband! And you know what Steve said? I had to get saved tonight. I couldn't take it no more. I couldn't take it no more. Can I ask you all a question? Who is it in your life? Maybe the reason why you're defeated it's because you got all your focus on this instead of this. When you leave these doors, you're going into a mission field. Some of you go to a mission field when you go back to uni. Some of you walk into a mission field when you go home because your family thinks you are a nut. I am convinced that a good soldier could care less about his own well-being. He cares about those that he's trying to defend. Let me ask you a question. Are you, fighting this, are you fighting this battle in the flesh? Have you underestimated your enemy? Do you have an unguarded mind? You know if you do or not. And some of you in this room have an unused weapon. When's the last time you used a sword against the attacks that's in your life? Selah. Selah. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Dear Lord Jesus, kind sir, do a work in the hearts of these young people. Lord, there's nobody, myself, Pastor Larry, Brother Dave, wants to twist anybody's arm and make them get right with God. They have to make a decision. But Lord, we need to understand we're never too tall that we cannot fall. Help us to guard our mind. Help us to let all bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from us with all malice and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. How can we never say we can't forgive somebody? We might say we won't, but we can't say we can't because Calvary paid it all. Help us to use our weapon, Lord, and see the results of our burdens for others. Because I, I know that Isaiah 55, Lord, says his word will not return void unto him. It'll accomplish what it pleases him, and it'll, it'll do that, and it'll prosper in a thing wherein it's sent. God, I pray that you'd have your will in your way. Help these young people to focus on the battle and not the burdens. Help them to keep their face set like a flint toward Jesus, looking unto him, the author and finisher, the creator and completer of their faith. 
And for all of this, Lord, we're going to thank you for what you do. In Christ's name, and all God's people said, Amen.